Uh, lesson number 12. So just make sure you guys understand we've been doing it for 12 weeks. Uh, it doesn't seem like that, or maybe it does to you. <laughs> I don't know. But it doesn't seem like that to me. I feel like we've just started this, and I'm very excited about plotting out where it's going to go. And today, you can see the title might be a little bit of a stretch for some of you. Because there's this really terrible doctrine going on in the church for a long time about how important it is for you to live in the middle of God's... I'm just living smack in the middle of God's will. And, you know, like somehow, somehow God hides special secret blessings for those who make just the right decision to turn right here or turn left here or take this job or not take that job. And, you know, how do I know what God's will is for my life? And, and if I'm out of it... Do I lose his favor? If I'm smack dab in it, do I gain his favor? And it's a really terrible theology. It's terrible. And we're going to go through it today. And remember, the whole point of the life of David is this, to recognize that Satan hated David and wanted to kill him so that Christ could not be born from his line. And so that we could not have hope of what? Grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Let me say it again. Hope of grace mercy, and forgiveness. And so when we go through that, what we begin to understand is that there's a cosmic battle and it's less about David and more about God and the enemy. And we've already begun to recognize in David's life that he was full of flaws. David was not a perfect man, but yet he's considered a man after God's own heart. And what we've been trying to do is set you up for an understanding of what a definition of a person after God's own heart really is. And is it even attainable by us? Really? So I'm going to read to you 1 Samuel 27 for today. It's about uh, 13 verses. So I'm just going to read it to you. Then David said in his heart, and remember, this is setting up after David has escaped numerous attempts of Saul trying to kill him. David has defeated Goliath. Uh, David has had two or three chances to kill Saul himself, and he's not done it. And David has been provided for by God with other things. And, and God has really steered David's life. You guys can see that, even in spite of his mistakes. And here's where David is now. And so David says in his heart, surely I will perish one day because of Saul. There is nothing better for me to do than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Now, you know who the Philistines were, right? Remember Goliath? He was their champion. David killed him with a slingshot. That's the Philistines. So David has determined the best course of action for me is to live with pagan people that I've already defeated once. Then Saul will not seek to kill me anymore. Because I won't be within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David rose, and he went over, and he and his 600 men who were with him, remember the disaffected, disenfranchised, the people who were in debt, the hurting people, all those people became his army. All those people went with him to Achish, who's basically one of the kings of a Philistine, a Philistine city. And David lived with King Achish in Gath. He and his men, every man with his house. That means their wives and their kids. And David with his two wives. And we talked about one of his wives that he got in the last message I preached about Nabal. Remember, he, Nabal died and David got all Nabal's stuff. Remember, we talked about that. And it was told to Saul that David now lived in Gath, in the land of the Philistines. So Saul said, well, you know what, I can't really go get him anymore. And then verse 5, and David says to King Achish, 
If I have found favor in your eyes, this is the king, right, of the Philistines. If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in, in one of the country towns that I may live there. For why should I dwell in your royal city? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Sixteen months he lives with the pagans. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Jeshurites and the Gizrites and the Amalekites. And for these were all the inhabitants of the land from old as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike every day a different city. He would strike in the land. And when he did it, he would leave neither man nor woman alive. You hear what I just said? Every day David would go out and he'd sack another city and kill everybody. But he would take away the sheep and the oxen and the donkeys and the camels and all their clothes and all their gold. And he'd come back to Achish and basically he would pay Achish a little tribute. And Achish asked, what raid have you made today, David? And David would say, against this city or against that city, against this Negev in Judah or against Negev of the uh, Jeremilites. And, uh, you know, he'd talk about all these different places. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath. And such was his custom while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David. And here's what Achish said to himself about David. He has made himself an utter stench to his own people Israel. Therefore, he's always going to be my servant. Now guys, let me ask you, does it sound like David is in God's will? This man after God's own heart? See, David had this weakness and this fear. What has God done? He delivered me from the hand of the bear. He delivered me from the hand of the lion. Surely he's going to deliver me from the hand of this giant Goliath, which he did. He delivered from the hand of Saul. Remember we talked about Saul tried to kill him with a spear three times from point blank range and missed every time. We talked about that. As a matter of fact, God worked it out so David could have killed Saul, but David didn't because he didn't want to kill the Lord's king. God has rescued David time and time again from his own weakness. And David makes the determination, the best choice for me is to go live with the big, smelly Philistines. Now, he's living with them. Is it good or bad, you guys think? That God's anointed, God's chosen, this man after God's own heart, this man who God has clearly protected his whole life, is living with the Philistines. He makes an alliance with this pagan king. He says, here's what you do. You give me a town. I'll go out and kill other people and bring you some of their stuff. I mean, it sounds like the mob. It sounds like something I see on The Sopranos, you know? But this alliance kind of enhances both of them, doesn't it? Because here's what Achish is thinking. If I ever do go up against Israel, David's going to be in my army. Now David saw a chance to escape the relentless pursuit of Saul, and, and instead of relying upon God to protect him, he decides to rely upon King Achish of the Philistines. And then David goes on these barbarian pursuits. What town did you go and wipe out today, David, with your 600 men? Remember what it said? He would kill every man every woman, 
take all their cattle, take all their clothes, take all their gold and silver, take everything they got, and bring it back. So David's getting wealthy. And then Achish even gave David a city to live in. Now here's what's amazing. He gives David this city. This city wasn't originally part of the tribe of Judah. But it's given to David. And it still stays a part of David's kingdom even after Saul dies and David becomes king. He still keeps this city that Achish gave him. Is that not grace and mercy or what? He's totally out of God's will and he gets a city out of it. You ought to try it sometime. I'm just kidding. Don't. Don't try it. And Achish sees David as a stench to his people. How's that for testimony? How's that for reputation? How's that for, well, you know, you, got, you always heard this, you know, you've got to watch your testimony. Watch how people see you. Well, how is David seen? Is David seen by, Achish doesn't say, man, David is a man who follows and loves his God no matter what. David is a man who has trust and faith. He's a man after God's, no, that's not what Achish says. Achish says, his people hate him now. I got him forever. Now, how must Satan feel about now? Right? The devil's trying to kill David. And he's used all, he's used the Philistines, he's used Saul, he's used Doeg, he's used all these different people and all, he's used bears and lions when he was a little shepherd boy. <clears throat> and now, somehow, by God's sovereign grace, even though David is totally out of God's will, right? He's using the king of the people that Dave, or that Satan just tried to use a few years ago to kill David. So Satan's might be pulling his hair out, pulling his horns out maybe, right? I don't know. And he's sitting there. I had this guy dead to the right so many times, and now he's living with King Achish, and nobody can kill him because he's living with the pagan people that serve me? That's crazy. So guys, do you think David is smack in the middle of God's will here? I mean, do you envy his position right now? Do you think, man, i got to tell you, I want to be a person after God's own heart. I think the best way to do it is to live with the pagan king and destroy Bradenton every other day. <laughs> Go and kill all the men and women and take all their clothes. If I can do that, then I'm a man after God's own heart. Do you think that David is now in an alliance with the Philistines, the very nation he defeated with the showdown with Goliath? is an amazing thing. This is the same king, by the way, if you guys remember a while ago, that David pretended to be insane in front of. Remember, he, he said, you know, he, the scripture says he tried to make it so there was drool on his beard and he acted crazy in front of King Achish so King Achish wouldn't kill him. You, why do you bring this crazy man to me? This is the same king that David acted like an idiot in front of. And now he got a city out of it. He's killing other towns and he's still a man after God's own heart. Hmm. Basically, here's what David says to himself. The best decision that I can make is to put my faith and trust in the king of the Philistines. Those same people that mocked God so much on the battlefield that it angered me to the point of taking on a giant with a slingshot. Do you remember that? Do you remember that part of the story where David says, Why are you, O children of Israel, scared of this giant? I'll kill this dog. He's talking smack about my God right in front of you guys. Every day, Goliath would come out and say, your God is nothing. I am greater than he. Who do you think you are? And all the Israelites' armies with Saul were afraid. And David came behind him and said, 
Who do you guys think you are? You're so afraid of this guy. Kill him already. Fine, you don't do it, I will. Give me some rocks. No, King Saul, I don't want your stupid armor. I haven't tested it. I'm just going to go with a slingshot. That's the same David who now says, the best thing I can do is live with that king. See, this resolution that David made was wrong in every way. First of all, God told him to go to Judah. God says, don't hang out in the caves anymore. Go to Judah. And where does David go? He goes to the Philistines. In 1 Samuel 22, 5, the prophet said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. But he instead goes to the land of godlessness and idolatry. It's the total opposite of God's will. And on top of that, do you remember how David would have a question? Should I go down and destroy the Philistines in this town? Or should I? And God would give him an answer? Like, guys, how great would that be in your life? Like, if you had it a way to know, okay, all I have to do is say, hey, God, should I turn left or right? And he says, oh, turn left and then turn right. And he gives you, like, detail. Wouldn't that be great? Like, do you think you could be in the middle of God's will every day if you had a way to ask God what to do? I mean, David did, right? David had a way to go to God and say, hey, should I go down and rescue this town? Remember, he rescued a town from the Philistines once. And what happens here is David leaves, he catches himself from the direct counsel of the Lord, and he makes a decision on his own saying, the best choice for me is not to ask God what I should do, but just go live with the pagan king. I'll get a town out of it. I'll kill other people out of it. I'll get a lot of clothes and cattle and gold. It'll be great. The Israeli dream. Guys, it's clear David at this point was not in complete obedience to God. And he wasn't acting in faith, certainly, correct? However, God allows David to make these mistakes and yet still somehow remain God's anointed king, remain a man after God's own heart, and fit into God's own plan. What an example of God's grace. I mean, Satan's crafty plan of robbing David of the throne, it's being set up again. David has opportunities to kill Saul already, right? We know that. The enemy is about to bring in another opportunity later on that we'll see when the king of uh, Achish does decide to go against Saul and his armies and to have a fight. And David has to make a tough decision. And you're going to see how that plays out next week. If you come back. Because <laughs> you're not allowed to read it before then, so you have to... <clears throat> but somehow, guys, providence prevails. And somehow, even in the midst of this dark spiritual time in David's life, he is protected from the disasters that are impending over Saul's head to be brought on by the Philistines. I have a quote from you from Matthew Henry. He has a commentary he writes about the scripture. And here's what he writes about this whole thing with David. This guy's old school, like, you know, he's a dead author. Here's what he writes. But unbelief is a sin that easily besets even the best of men. Because when there are fightings within and without, 
so are their fears. And it's really a hard matter to get over them. Lord, increase our faith. See, didn't David trust God's promise? Had God's hand not shown him many times that he was in control? It's amazing that, it's, that in this incredibly dark time in David's life, he actually writes, guys, this is what's so wild. He actually writes one of his best, most powerful songs in this time. Does that sound like a man living out of God's will? It was Psalm 143. I'm just going to read to you one verse. And see if you can catch the irony of this. I remember the days of old. And I remember all your great works. I think about the works of your hands. See, David writes a song where he says, I remember the great works. But yet he says, the only choice I have is to live with King Achish. Isn't that ironic? I have read Psalm 143 so many times in my life when I was struggling and going through hardship, and it was written by a guy who was killing men, women, and children all around him, living with a pagan king, and who really was detached from the counsel of God. See, there's another side of this struggle too, though. We understand that David is struggling. We understand that David is not in the middle of God's will. We understand that David has got some issues in his life. He's got a lack of faith and just some other things happen. We get that, right? But there's another side of this. This false magic, this fallacy of us trying to live in the middle of God's will. Thinking that somehow you can work your way into some hidden special spiritual nirvana by making all the right decisions. And living a life that is more godly based on your ability to be spiritual. Do you live with the burden of trying to live your walk with Jesus to achieve some sort of Christ-like nirvana? I hate this phrase. I just got to be on fire for Jesus. Where does that come from? What does it even mean? I mean, they've got whole conferences that make millions of dollars on it. I don't get it. David is a man after God's own heart. Is he on fire for Jesus right now? And I get this phrase, this on fire for Jesus, and it's just like, it drives me nuts. What is that? Okay, can you define it? Is there like step one? Is, is it like, is there symptoms like when you're sick? There are symptoms when you're on fire for Jesus? Do you sin less? Do you listen to less Led Zeppelin? I don't know. Do you watch the, uh, the Christian broadcast network instead of Fox News or MSNBC? Is that it? I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, what does it mean to be smack in the middle of God's will? I just want God's will for my life. Well, good. What does that mean? And do you think you can somehow achieve it? Do you believe that because of your spirituality that you have the ability, do you think if David couldn't, and if Adam couldn't, you think somehow that you can negotiate all the moving parts of your life and your faith and your flesh and your temptations and all those things, do you think you can navigate your way around all these moving parts and somehow stay in God's will? Well, you're delusional. I'm serious, you're delusional. Let me read you a passage from Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul. Paul knew 
how to serve God before he was a Christian. If anyone thinks he has reason to brag, I have even more. For we are of the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory of Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. None. Not, not we put 10%. No. No confidence in the flesh, he says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul's saying, you think you can be good? Let me tell you about how good I was at the flesh. I was circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew among Hebrews. In other words, I had a great reputation as a Jew. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness, under everything in the law, I made sure I was blameless. I kept all the dietary laws. I dressed the right way. I did all the feasts the right way. I did every, I had the, I had most of the Old Testament memorized. I had all these things. I was really good at doing what God want me to do. I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as dung. Some, some translations say rubbish. He said, I count it as feces in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that is of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends upon faith, not works, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share his sufferings, become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Who are we to think that we could make ourselves live in or do God's will? I mean, Adam walked and talked with God every day. Guys, Adam had one moving part to avoid a particular type of fruit. And he couldn't do it. Do you understand what I just said? Adam had everyday conversations with God. There was one moving part that he needed to make sure he did to stay in God's will. And that was what? Don't eat this fruit. He couldn't do it. Isn't it God who both saves us and lives in us to do His good pleasure? Now understand, there's a careful balance between what we learned in the book of James and confidence in the flesh. We understand the Scripture teaches that if God has truly saved you, there is evidence of that in your life. But that's not because you're so good that you make the right decisions. It's because God's power and grace is so overwhelming it kills the old nature in you and makes you new. It's got nothing to do with you. Nothing. James clearly says, if a man says he has faith but has not works, his faith is not real. But when God has saved you and God has transformed you, there's a power there. It has nothing to do with you. You see, God always brings His chosen back around. He who began a good work in you will be faithful and completed unto the day of salvation. 
No man can pluck them out of my hand. And so we understand that God's salvation, when God chooses his people, when God saves you, when God calls you out of darkness into light, he's got you. No man can pluck them out of his hand, not even you. And turning left or turning right, does God really play hide and go seek with his will for our lives like that? You know, here it is. It's like a crossword puzzle. I'm going to save Joe, but then he's got to make all the right decisions or he's not going to, he'll be in my, and here's a phrase I used to hear when I was a young person in Bible college. I hated it. He'll just be in my permissive will and not my perfect will. Terrible, terrible theology. Terrible. Because I can tell you right now, if me being in God's will is up to me making all the right decisions, I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. I'm done. Guys, God never works because of us. He always works in spite of us. Amen? What a great comfort that is, is it not? The fact that God can use me even if I'm living in a pagan king's land. Because see, when God's grace grabs hold of your heart, when God's grace grabs hold of your life, He changes you. He causes the directions. He causes the things to happen in your life. He gets the credit and the glory. Guys, the ultimate test of truth is this. If it gives man any credit, it's a lie. If it gives God credit, it's truth. From my journal in 1999, once again, I see how God always works in spite of us. Even in the midst of my actions of faithlessness, God manifests his presence and the immutability of his will. No matter my mistakes, God's hand prevails over the wiles of Satan and the insufficiencies of man, even this man. And when I wrote this, I was studying this part of the life of David. And what God made me realize is as a pastor, I'm no better than anyone else. I, I think... There's only one way I could be up here every Sunday preaching God's truth to you. Just one way. That God works around me. Because I got to tell you guys, I'm a sinner, man. I make so many decisions in my life that are out of God's will. Every day. Thoughts, actions, words, deeds. It's, it's not just one piece of fruit. It's tons of pieces of fruit that I take a bite out of every day. I've got no confidence in my flesh. None. Zero. Zip. Where's my confidence? In the grace of God. And what is it that made David a man after God's own heart? What was it? It wasn't his perfection, clearly, right? It wasn't like, okay, David did this well, he did this well, he did this well, he did this well, and now he's a man after God's own heart. Why was he a man after God's own heart? God chose him. And what we see in David's life... As we go forward, we'll see this. You know what it was? Brokenness. Humility. Sorrow. Grief. Matter of fact, Peter talks about this. The most precious thing in God's eyes, God's eyes is a broken and humble heart. What is a person after God's own heart? It's a broken person who has zero confidence in the flesh. Zero confidence in his own ability. 
to stay in God's will. The most important part about being a man or woman after God's own heart is having a heart that recognizes its own extreme depravity and Heavenly Dad's own extreme, saturating, overwhelming grace and mercy. There's no magic in your decisions, people. You know where the magic is? You know where the magic is? God's grace and God's mercy. And he works in spite of us. Never because of us.